Support for WFIU News comes from the IU Alumni Association, now offering IU Proud, a member program designed for recent graduates and those facing economic hardship. More information at alumni.iu.edu join. Production support for Noon Edition comes from Smithville. Fiber Internet, streaming TV, home security, and automation in southern Indiana. More information at smithville.com. And from Integrity First Insurance, provider of Erie Insurance, for all your auto, home, life, and business insurance needs. More information at 812-269-8897 or integrityfirstinsuranceservices.com. And from Bloomington Health Foundation, partnering with local organizations and citizens to invest in programs that address our community's health needs. Bloomington Health Foundation, improving health and well-being takes a community. More at bloomhf.org. And from Estate and Downsizing Specialists, LLC, offering complete turnkey services for estate and downsizing clients, from initial consultation through home cleanout to final real estate and personal property sales. More at edsindiana.com. Welcome to Noon Edition on WFIU. I'm your host, Bob Zaltzberg. Today we're talking with our guests about the increase in mental health issues due to the pandemic and resources that are available to help those that, are, that, that uh, may be struggling. We have three guests with us. Uh, they're all joining us by Zoom. Lindsay Potts is a licensed clinical social worker with a Master of Social Work degree. She's the Director of Behavioral Health Sciences for Indiana University Health. Denise Hayes is Assistant Vice Provost for Student Affairs and Director of Counseling and Psychological Services for Indiana University. Uh, some know that as the CAPS program. And Barbara Thompson is also joining us. She's Executive Director of NAMI Indiana. That's the National Alliance on Mental Illness. If you have questions or comments for us today, you can send them to news at indianapublicmedia.org. You can also follow us on Twitter and send us questions there at Noon Edition. And you can call us and go on the air and ask your question at 812-855-0811 or toll-free at 877-285-9348. Well, I want to thank all three of our guests for being here with us today. And I want to start with Lindsay Potts, who is uh, the Director of Behavioral Health Services for IU Health. Lindsay, you know, I, I mentioned it's as if it's a given that uh, mental health issues have increased during the pandemic. What have you seen? Is that is that a, a fair characterization? Yes, and, uh, the the needs of behavioral health have absolutely increased over the pandemic and have become more complex. So what we have been seeing during this time, uh, individuals' lives have been disrupted. I think everyone's been impacted in some way, some greater than others. And that disruption has led to additional uh, chronic stress um, in a society that I think was already struggling with some other social social stressors and social needs. And so really what we've seen within um, the hospital setting uh, is that those, those needs have increased in severity 
and frequency. We've also seen um, an increase in uh, pediatric behavioral health needs. We've seen an increase in substance use disorder um, severity and, uh, and individuals needing more emergent care. So absolutely. And then additionally, on top of all of this is uh, we've seen increased mental health needs for our healthcare workforce. Uh, the pandemic was extremely disruptive for those in healthcare. And so we've seen on top of all of the needs of our patients, we've also seen an increased need for those who are serving those patients. So I want to move on to, to Denise. So Denise is, works with a lot of uh, college students. We're here on a college campus. So have you seen the same kinds of things that, that Lindsay Potts says that, that uh, are going on out there? Absolutely. Uh, the American College Health Association reported that about 60% of college students said that they were having more difficulty accessing mental health care. And of course, we have about 25% more uh, seeking health care, uh, mental health care. I think the isolation uh, really had an impact on students. Uh, they're at an age where peer support is critical and uh, everyone tells them that coming to college is the place where you make your friends for life. And that was just cut off. Uh, we also know that we're social beings and so not to be able to connect and have fun and have hugs and shake hands and be together in a group was devastating. Did you see improvements uh, this year when students got back on campus compared to, you know, when all of the learning was being done um, via Zoom? Absolutely. I hear uh, fewer students uh, complaining about the, the classroom environment. There were quite a few that felt like the on-learn platform was a difficult adjustment. Um, and we don't hear that as much. Students pretty much, I would say, this semester have kind of gotten back into their routine, um, building up their social organizations, their student organizations, starting to get back uh, involved uh, in activities both on campus and in the community. All right. Our third guest today is Barbara Thompson. She's the executive director of the National Alliance on Mental Illness, Indiana, NAMI. Um, so can you talk a little bit about what NAMI is and does? So NAMI is a national organization with state chapters, um, obviously around the country. And here in Indiana, uh, we're the state chapter and we support 15 local affiliates, including our Greater Bloomington Area affiliate um, there in Bloomington. We provide um, support and education, um, awareness programs for the community, for organizations. Oh, and I should also say there's a NAMI on campus club at IU, <laughs> so if you want to join that also. But yeah, so we, we provide kind of that awareness and support for folks um, who are living with a mental illness, as well as family members, uh, which is an important piece because they can really be a support uh, to their loved one, as well as advocacy um, at the local, state, and national level. One of the things I like about uh, being able to host this show is I get to ask the questions that maybe other people have and don't have the opportunity to ask, but uh, and some of them might seem simplistic. Uh, mental illness versus mental health issues that people are dealing with. Is there a difference in terms of you know the kinds of people that you are working with who have a diagnosed mental illness as compared to people who are in a mental health crisis or situation? Barbara, the other? 
Sure. Yeah. So, well, and, we, and sometimes we do kind of differentiate where we talk about serious and persistent mental illnesses mm-hmm. and then mental illnesses more broadly. Uh, and so it does depend on the situation because obviously a person can be in crisis. You can have a serious and persistent long-term mental illness, but you can be living in recovery. So, you know, when, when it comes to mental illness, there's there are layers to it. So, you know, you may, you can be living well in recovery. And so we like to, when we're talking about mental illness, we don't always, we don't like to say that someone is suffering with a mental illness because they may not be. You may have your mental illness and you may just be living and not may, but there are lots of people who are living well and in recovery and managing their uh, symptoms who do have a mental illness. So it, it does vary. Yeah. I'll ask you to to start this conversation, but it, it seems as if in the past, and again, I might be wrong about this, but it seems like there has been a greater awareness and a greater acceptance of mental illness, uh, maybe less fear of mental illness than there pre- previously was. It, there's always been a bit of a stigma attached to it, but uh, mental illness is a, it's it's a type of illness or disease or condition, just like diabetes would be or cancer would be. Are you seeing more acceptance and, and more understanding? We're definitely seeing more um, discussion around mental illness and Nationally, locally, the policies are allowing for them to put more funding toward mental health, whether it's uh, the workforce, whether it's uh, programs and services. So, you know, when when policymakers start to put money behind something, you you know that there's really been um, a better understanding of why it's important. And certainly people are talking about it more. We've certainly um, had more people uh, approaching us, like, for example, organizations approaching us to to find out how can they better support um, their employees, schools, organizations wanting to just better understand how can they recognize and and understand the symptoms of mental illness so that they can help people. Um, So absolutely, there's certainly that unfortunate silver lining to the pandemic, uh, but it has certainly brought along more conversations and people willing to share, which does break down stigma because it it helps to let people know that they're not alone, which is really important. All right. I appreciate that answer. I want to ask Lindsay the same question. Um, You know, from your perspective at IU Health, are you seeing more of a focus on uh, mental health issues than previously? And if so, why? Yeah, I would agree and echo um, Barbara's, Barbara's sentiments that absolutely we're seeing a lot more focus. And I really think of the shift towards mental health and mental well-being, emotional well-being, um, this bigger bucket of health that uh, has become a greater focus. I think everyone realized during the pandemic with how much disruption this had on our, our families and communities, how essential our own emotional well-being is for everyone, no matter um, whether or not there's a, a condition that may have been uh, treated or have a label previously. So the, the focus on mental health as a general bucket of wellness, I think, has increased and is really important to destigmatizing all of our needs in this space. Um, everyone has emotional needs um, that if not tended to well, can um, potentially turn into something that may be um, given a label of a mental illness that needs treatment. And this this is a this is not unique to our own emotional and uh, health. It can be with any part of our health. If anything goes untreated, 
um, it can turn into something that does uh, require more intervention. Um, but I do think in general, as far as those who do experience um, mental illness, the, the focus on mental health and mental wellness has destigmatized in such a way that there is greater attention. And as Barbara mentioned, some additional funding legislators looking at this um, healthcare as a whole is really shifting focus more and more to how do we meet the demand? How do we do prevention? How do we appropriately um, treat who are currently in crisis? And so all of this um, kind of gained additional momentum in the pandemic. And that was something our team definitely um, identified when I, I reached out to them around this topic was, you know, there were a lot of positives that happened with um, the the, pan the pandemic and COVID-19 response. We had the ability to reach more individuals through telehealth. Uh, we also had the ability um, to have a bit of a greater platform, I think, in some of our discussions with some of the topics that we've been treating in our field for a very long time. And so uh, with, with any uh, great hardship, I do, I do think that there was a bit of a silver lining for mental health um, in destigmatizing um, the needs and also broadening the, the demand to, towards prevention model and meeting the, the emotional well-being needs of our communities. Do you think part of that might have been that everybody, or I won't say everybody was in the same situation because they, they weren't. Different people had different um, experiences during COVID, but there were a lot of people that were more isolated than they'd ever been before. And they may be in more of a pos position to make a difference or to set policy on certain things and, and make changes. Do you think those personal stories that people were people who um, had never experienced these kind of, this kind of isolation or these kind of uh, mental health concerns? may have, again, been another silver lining where it's like, yeah, I finally get it because I'm facing it now. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think the collective, the collective struggle we all went through, kind of a collective trauma that we all endured together was definitely something that uh, people connected differently and connected in a deeper way, I think, is another really important observation I've had during this time is that um, we were all going through something. And so topics of conversation were, were more focused on our own um, mental health. We were able and had permission to talk about what was hard. And so I think with this, it's gained additional momentum where individuals who previously were not engaged in these conversations were becoming engaged in the conversations because it was affecting them. It was affecting their families. It was affecting their coworkers. And so in, in many ways, none of us could really get away from it. Um, and with that, I think uh, we all there was a collective comfort with ha talking about these topics, that it's okay to talk about them. It's okay to be struggling um, and, and, and that we can really share this together. And with that is, is healing and it can be a healing community, healing workforces. And so I, I do see some momentum that's continuing to, to gain as, as we look at uh, how we regain our footing um, after this major disruption for that lasted several years and is still honestly ongoing. Right. We shouldn't talk about this as if the pandemic is over because it's definitely not. We, we were talking about mental health issues. Uh, we we're talking about it. We're framing the conversation about uh, what's happened since the pandemic uh, began in 2020 and how that's exacerbated some mental health issues. Uh, we have three guests with us. Lindsay Potts is with us. She is with IU Health. Denise Hayes is with the Cap 
Helps program at IU, and Barbara Thompson is with Indiana's NAMI. We're talking with them about these mental health issues. You can call us at 812-855-0811 in Bloomington or toll-free at 877-285-9348 outside the Bloomington calling area. You can also send us your questions to news at indianapublicmedia.org, and you can tweet us at Noon Edition. We have had one question that's uh, come in um, over one of our platforms. It's mental health uh, hereditary. If uh, you know, if your parents have suffered from some sort of mental health condition, are you more likely to? Who wants to take that? I'm happy to start, Bob. Oh, okay, Denise, thank you. Uh, yes, there's a lot of research that shows that there are some hereditary or and or environmental contributors to um, depression and anxiety um, and also to some addictive uh, behaviors as well. So those are things that don't necessarily confirm that you will have it, but it, um, like anything else, it does give you information that you may want to pay attention to that and, and be informed and educated on ways to uh, reduce the likelihood or to identify it early so that uh, depression or anxiety doesn't become paralyzing. I want to follow up with you also on on students. When you were talking about the, the stigma and how the stigma has been sort of lessening. Um, it, it seems to me that, that the uh, student population is more aware of the, these issues and are more, is more willing to talk about it than perhaps the, the general population. Do you find that to be true? There certainly is a reduction in um, the stigma, and there's an increase in students seeking uh, mental health support, and we have more students encouraging their friends to come to counseling. A lot of times we'll ask what, what prompted you to come, and they will say, well, my friends said that they had been to counseling, and it had been helpful, or even family members, and it had been helpful. There, there still remains some stigma, um, and so uh, the counseling center at IU as well as across the country do things to reduce the barriers. For example, we have embedded counselors in some of the culture centers with the uh, Office of International Student Services. Uh, we also, as a result of the pandemic, have ex expanded some of our, our services by having more things online. So we have some recorded workshops that help to give students language to talk about how they're feeling. So for example, we might have a student experiencing symptoms of anxiety, but if they've never experienced it before, uh, they don't know how what to make of it. And so we have some three-week uh, skill-based groups where they can learn the language and learn some techniques to reduce that anxiety. And so that's uh, in a way, just very helpful for students, but it also helps them understand that coming to counseling doesn't mean that you have to be in crisis. It can help you to thrive, not just survive. What are some of these um, some of these signs that people may not know what's happening to them, but they're having some serious anxiety or even entering into a depression and they may not realize it? Uh, rapid heartbeats, having difficulty breathing, feeling like they're going to pass out, having difficulties sleeping or sleeping all the time, change in your uh, appetite. Either you have no appetite or it, it increases significantly. Withdrawing. A lot of times students will say, I used to enjoy doing jogging or playing basketball or hanging out with my friends and now I just stay in my room or I don't want I don't answer the phone. So those are some of the typical examples. 
All right. Barbara, I wanted to, to talk about uh, NAMI again and some of the resources that you have available for people who are struggling with uh, their mental health at this point. And this might be a good time to, to also bring in the fact that it's it's not just COVID, but we seem to be living in a, in a time where there are a lot of stressors that have seemed to have, uh, have grown uh, much more what much much more prominent and prevalent so what kind of what kind of um, programs do you have that can help people so we have actually things that uh, you can do of course online um, and when you talk about the uh, stressors that are kind of happening around us you know in society you know there are tips and things on um, on nami.org um, around you know things like the news you know uh, how to not take in so much uh, of that type of media um, and, and ways that you can still get that information without going overboard. Uh, so there are some things online. Um, one of the speakers was talking about the frontline workers. Uh, we have um, frontline wellness on our uh, NAMI.org website that is specific to the health professionals, specific to uh, law enforcement, um, EMS, uh, those frontline workers who were really have been impacted um, from COVID. Uh, so there are some resources on there for them, peer groups and, and such that they can tap into. Locally in Bloomington, we have a support group that is for people who are living with mental health conditions. We also have support groups that are for um, family members. Again, another important piece to have those around you better understand what your experience is so that they can better support you. Um, we also provide education um, courses for free for family members uh, in the area. But we and, and we also, of course, now that the pandemic has happened, we've also have things online where you can join support groups of people from around the state uh, who are um, you know, either family members or uh, individuals living with mental illness. And I should say these support groups are all trained support group leaders. And more importantly, they are peers. So if you go to one of our family support groups, it's going to be family members who are leading it, as well as um, if it's a lived experience support group, it will be someone who themselves is living with a mental health condition and living well in recovery. Yeah, let, let me uh, follow up and ask about that, the importance of, of family and friend support and people understanding what an individual is going through. I'm, I'm close friends with a, a woman whose son had a traumatic brain injury, and, and uh, I know she's been very active in NAMI, trying to find resources and understand you know, his issues. Um, so how, how important is this family support? Well, for one, you, when you better understand what someone's experiencing, you don't look at them as though they, that they're trying to do it. You can, but you can look at it more as their symptoms, you know, and, and not be upset with the person. And I, for me, we, I took our NAMI family to family course, um, for my family member who's living with a mental illness. And it really changed my perspective and my ability to relate to them as well as as you know, having better communication skills with uh, with my loved one, so it, it is really important. And then connecting with these with groups. So if you you know if you decide to to do a support group, you can learn from other families things that worked for them or places that they've tried out. Maybe a certain therapy might work for you um, that they've that they've experienced. So it gives you those those connections. Um, and we all know that that social connections are really important, but it also gives you connections within the community about different resources that are available. 
We have a, a friend of the show, Jill Bolte Taylor, who many people uh, know. She went through her own issues uh, with a brain injury, and she's a neuroanatomist. So I, I remember when she she's been on the show before and talked about how everybody's brain is different, and if someone has what we would consider to be a mental illness, it's just a different kind of brain. Could you comment on that? Well, and not, and not just that, but also the, the symptoms that someone experiences with their mental illness are going to be different from the same diagnosis of another person. So we're all experiencing the world in a different way. And so it is really important uh, for the individual to understand their mental health condition as well as those around them. Mm-hmm. All right. Thank you. We have a phone call. We have Greg who's on the phone. Oh, I think Greg just left us with a question. He asked about what the experts say about the dangers of self-medication when it comes to mental health and the importance of getting properly diagnosed. Who wants to take that one? Lindsay? Yeah, I'd be happy to take that one. So, um, and and I'm assuming self-medication kind of can can be a big range of things. I think it's in some ways ways to cope that maybe aren't by accessing professional care or um, specific treatments that have been evidence-based. So this can include substances. Um, it can also include other activities that maybe are not health-related, but um, speaking more so specifically to substance use in the space of um, self-medication is that uh, a lot of times these this is not something that can be a long-term solution and also can lead to even more um, potential problems. And so we did see this throughout um, the last few years that there um, has been an increase in substance use um, frequency and amount um, in the general population, but also in for individuals that are experiencing overdose. So overdose rates hit an all-time high in the last um, two years years and we're still seeing that continue to climb. And so uh, when when working when treating um a mental uh, health condition with um, something that's not prescribed or specific therapeutics and instead using substances to cope, um, it can turn into another problem altogether. It can turn into a substance use disorder or just problematic substance use that can be disruptive to people's lives. So it's always best to to seek professional help. There's a lot of amazing uh, therapy and treatments out there that that treat conditions um, and can stave off any other um, problems. All right. Thanks for that answer. And Greg, thanks for that question. I want to give our phone numbers again, and then I have some other special phone numbers I want to make sure and give you. These are some numbers where you can get some help if you're out there listening to us today and and want to know uh, more about this. So our numbers are 812-855-0811 in Bloomington or toll-free 877-285-9348. You can also send us your questions to news at indianapublicmedia.org, and you can tweet uh, your questions to us at Noon Edition. Now, we have a couple other questions we, or num- numbers we want to share with you. Be Well Indiana's Mental Health Helpline. Call 211, then enter your zip code and press 3 to speak with a trained counselor. Also, there's the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline. We want to give you that number. It's 800-273-8255. And if our guests have any other numbers, you might want to jot those down and you can you can share those with our listeners before the 
end of the program. Lindsay, I wanted to, to ask you to follow up a little bit on the frontline healthcare workers and the mental health challenges that they've been facing. Have the, are those being mitigated at this point, or are they? Are we in a situation? Where, I guess I, I want to ask it this way: Have we gotten into a situation where so many people have had such a struggle that we're now having trouble filling all those jobs, and which is just adding to more hours for people who are on there working every day? Yes, this is a really uh, hot topic for us in healthcare um, related to how we're tending to the needs of our workforce. And I would say that um, it's yes to both. So yes, there's a lot of supports um, that uh, our agency and I know many other healthcare agencies are providing their frontline workers and also all of their, anyone in healthcare right now, um, just emotional supports, additional um, EAP benefits. Um, we also have been doing what we call compassion circles, which are ways to gather different teams together to connect um, over these issues. As we talked about earlier, the collective the collective struggle can actually be very healing. Um, so we've been using some intentional approaches to try to uh, have prevention and to have that additional support um, for the team members. I know with healthcare it was right at the beginning of the pandemic, a lot of support, a lot of um, kind of energy behind it. But as the pandemic went on and we had surge after surge um, here uh, locally in the hospital, uh, the fatigue set in. And so our, our team members have been tired. Uh, we've seen a lot of individuals leave healthcare completely. Uh, we've had a lot of movement within um, people reprioritizing their lives, cutting back on hours, or just changing um, professions, retiring early. So we have definitely been affected by that, as as most of uh, the workforce has been, and, and healthcare is no different. So yes, we are we're struggling to kind of keep up, keep pace to fill those positions, to continue to provide care. And as you mentioned, it, it's kind of a cyclic uh, stressor right now um, as as individuals are leaving to reprioritize and take care of themselves, it's leaving more to those who um, are staying and are continuing to, to be servant um, leaders and servant um, providers within, within the healthcare space right now. So it is definitely a very unique challenge and we continue to adapt uh, what we're able to provide uh, our, our healthcare workforce to to make sure that their needs are met and how do we really evaluate this as a time to not go back? How do we uh, change how we do things. How do we take care um, of our of the folks that work with us um, in a better way so that they can continue to be the great healthcare providers? I think probably Denise and Barbara can both speak to the fact that even before um, the the pandemic started, uh, the there was a great behavioral health demand, um, and we struggled to meet that demand with our existing workforce. So uh, that that has only gotten a bit harder as, as the demand has increased even more in the past couple of years. Our, our workforce has struggled to keep up and we've had more people um, uh, who are direct mental health care providers also reprioritize their life and, and take a break or cut back or just change careers completely. Barbara, do you wanna respond to that? Yeah, she's right. Even before the pandemic, um, there has been um, a workforce issue. Um, we've had some of our affiliates who are looking, you know, who've looked into their local areas and um, getting appointments, uh, if you're lucky, can take weeks um, to months. And there are some areas where there have been uh, at times where you can't even get an appointment. They're just not accepting new patients. And this is this is a huge concern because you know people it, it, and we've even had members who have traveled outside of their city in order to try to get their loved one help 
and and this can really end in tragic tragic results. Yeah, I I would think it would. It seems to me that if somebody is in feels like they're in a crisis situation, needs to get in, really feels like they need to get in to talk to somebody about what they're going through, and they, they're told that they can't get in for three weeks to a month, that that could lead to some bad outcomes. Yeah, I, I've even um, had experiences where um, in a crisis going to the emergency room and there not being enough space. Um, and so people are sent home. Um, again, this can end very tragically. Mm-hmm. A couple of other uh, angles I want to follow up on. One is uh, phone numbers. I, I think Denise may have offered this one. So Denise Caps has a number, 812-855-5711 for students, which is a 24-7 number. It says option number one. Is that correct if students have an issue? Right. So during the day, we're open from 8 to 4.30. And any time after 4.30, um, you dial the same number and you will get a voicemail and it will prompt you to select different options. So to speak to a counselor after hours, you would select option one. Um, Certainly, um, there's another uh, link. If you Google IU Student Affairs, if you have a concern about a student, you can um, submit a care referral. And that can come from faculty, a community member, a family member. If you've observed something that is concerning and you want someone to reach out to that student, then you can submit a care referral. So we have a a variety of ways to provide support to students. Lindsay, my my ears kind of perked up when you used an acronym, EAP, earlier. Um, I'm a former uh, manager in, a, in an organization and, and the uh, employee assistance program, EAP, that benefit was one that we used probably not nearly as much as we should have used. Can you talk about the importance of these workplace programs? Absolutely. Um, and so thank you for spelling that out. Yeah, the employee assistance program is a fantastic benefit that offers, um, depending upon what agency or it can offer a number of free therapeutic sessions. And really, I think we've been speaking to mental health and how to do prevention, how to manage stressors as a part of ongoing wellness. So for individuals who are working, these benefits are are free um, of charge and are able to get ahead of some of the stressors that may be coming from from the workplace. Uh, When we think about what we endure every day, we spend a ton of time at work. um, And this is a space that could potentially be causing some stress. And how do we manage that? Um, And also, there could be things in your life that are impacting the work. So those programs are really essential for getting ahead of that burnout, uh, really working to integrate work and life in a seamless way that can lead to long-term health. As a follow-up to that, we've had uh, a question come in. That could we address some of the ongoing mental health issues? How does this, how does a mental health um, condition or problem affect people's ability to seek employment or to seek housing and um and I guess, you know, do their job. So Lindsay again. Yeah, I mean, that, 
a mental health condition can impact every aspect of one's life. Uh, it can, can, we've been speaking a bit about the brain. And so um, depending upon the mental, um, the mental health condition that an individual may be experiencing, it can hijack different parts of an, uh, an individual's ability to concentrate, to focus, to keep track of time. Uh, can also impact somebody's ability to feel organized or in some more crisis states, um, severe uh, mental illness. Barbara mentioned some of that severe and persistent mental illness for individuals who are currently experiencing housing disruption um, or any other. Uh, other social determinants of health needs may not have the ability in, in those crisis states with a severe mental illness to be able to orient, to be able to access food, to be able to access housing. And so um, just like with any other health condition, it has a continuum of impact. And so it can impact an, uh, an individual's ability to thrive at work. And it, it can also completely derail somebody's life where they may not be able to even establish housing or um, meet their basic needs. I would assume it uh, can harm relationships as well. Absolutely. Like I said, uh, every aspect of an individual's life is, is impacted by our mental health. And so I think that's one of the things as we spoke earlier, why I think a lot of the conversations have increased where more and more people were seeing, oh, we're, none of us are immune. Um, I, I think it sometimes it's been into this area of, of this is mental illness an individual who experiences mental illness experiences these hardships. Um, yes, that is true. However, us as a collective have noticed that if, if mental, if our mental health is not well, no aspect of our life is typically well. We have about uh, 10 or 12 minutes to go in the program, so you still have time to send us a question or call in a question. You can send us questions or comments to news at indianapublicmedia.org. You can tweet us at Noon Edition and send your questions there. You can call us at 812-855-0811 or toll free at 877-285-9348. I wanted to, to sort of switch gears a little bit to uh, what people can do to help take care of themselves. I know there is not one solution for everybody, but if people have, are, are feeling like they're not themselves, that they are having some more stress, they're under more stress than usual. What are some things that people can do to help try to get a little bit more of a handle on that? And let me ask um, Barbara first. Well, and actually, if, if I could, I wanted to highlight a little bit more about what Lindsay was talking about, um, about how mental health really impacts your whole being. Great. Sure. Um, Great. Yeah. Well, you know, and she was talking about um, the social determinants of health and that, and, you know, that looks at, you know, your economic education, um, health and your, your built environment and all of those areas are impacted greatly. So when we're looking at economic stability, the rate of unemployment is higher for adults who have a mental illness. And in fact, depression is the leading cause of disability worldwide. Um, in high school, for high school students uh, who have significant symptoms of depression, they're actually twice as likely to drop out compared to, to their peers. Um, when you're looking at the social uh, context of it, you know you can look at caregivers. So there's um, millions of, of people who are providing unpaid care to adults who have a mental uh, or emotional health issue. And on average, they're giving about 32 hours per week 
of unpaid care. Your own health is impacted. Uh, people with depression are 40% higher risk of developing cardiovascular and metabolic diseases. Um, and, and she talked about uh, homelessness. 20% of people experiencing homelessness have a serious mental health condition. So one of the things I like to say uh, is really that you don't have health without your mental health. And looking at some of the things that, uh, that employers can do, we were talking about EAP, um, something to know that you know, for most insurance programs, if, if they offer a mental health um, uh, you know, insurance package, then they, those have to be in at par, we call it parity, on par with what they would give for other uh, services um, that are more from the neck down, I guess, if you will. Um, and so, you know, if you feel like you're not getting those services, if, if you feel like um, there are limiting the number of uh, visits that you can see compared to what, you know, they would do if you had maybe diabetes, um, those are those are some of the, the things that you can look out for to make sure that you are getting um, the care that you need uh, for, for your mental health. Um, and so that's, you know, those are some of the things that workforces can do to, to help their people. Um, accommodations in the workplace, it's, you know, this, these are also, you know, ADA issues. And you, if you do need reasonable accommodations in the workplace, they, they do need to be provided. So those are, those are some of the things, you know, just as you, you know, are going through life that can be helpful. Um, and to your question about, you know, what can we do with our mental health conditions? I think one of, one of the things is really better understanding your mental health condition. Um, just like with any other illness, you know, when you get a diagnosis, you immediately start trying to better understand um, what the impact is going to be. Uh, and, and it's the same for your mental health. Um, and, and I also, uh, from the people that I know who are living well in recovery, they really look at it as a holistic approach. Um, again, as you would do with any other <laughs> health condition, um, you, you, you keep your doctor's visits, you, um, you take the prescribed medication if that's, if that's what is um, deemed necessary. You do other types of therapies, um, even the, the food that you eat can be um, impact um, someone's, the way that they feel, um, exercise. So a lot of what you would do for other health conditions will also help with mental health conditions. Um, a lot of people experience, um, when you get into the fall, you start, people experience the uh, seasonal affective disorder um, and have lower moods. Um, you know, some of the tips that we provide on that are, you know, really ramp up as we get into the fall time, ramping up things like your exercise, um, making sure that um, you have the, you know, the medications that you need and, and maybe even um, ramping up the visits with um, a therapist or your doctors. Uh, so we, we have a lot of those tips on our, on our website too. Okay. And what's your website address? Um, NAMI.org. So N-A-M-I. So obviously. National Alliance of Mental Illness.org has a lot of tips. Okay. Um, there you can find your local affiliate. We have the greater Bloomington area.org is another place to get a lot of that same information. Okay, thank you. I wanted to uh, ask uh, Denise about, again, about college students, just the population you work with. And, and Lindsay, you might want to jump in here too. I mean, there, there are 
lots of other issues that people are facing today. I mean, we people are living their lives on social media, and social media is a place that has a lot of uh, meanness, a lot of uh, disinformation, a lot of bullying, a lot of things like that. I mean, how has social media played into – it also can connect people, so maybe it's been a good thing. But how, how does social media play into the idea of people's mental health these days? So, Bob, um, I think way before the pandemic, we've been uh, talking about um, the impact of social media, and I agree there's some benefits. However, uh, we tend to compare ourselves to the the facade, if you will, that people place on Facebook so or, or whatever the social media is. So you see people at their best, and then students compare themselves to what they see. And so students themselves say that often that impacts their uh, self-esteem. So if you only see someone happy on the screen and you're not feeling happy, then you think something's wrong and it doesn't really dawn on you that that's just a moment in time. So we work on that quite a bit. Um, yes, there's been a lot of um, race-based discrimination, uh, sexual identity, gender identity, uh, harassment and uh, discrimination, both in person and online before the pandemic. And then it increased uh, during the pandemic. Some of that I think is because people were isolated and people tend to uh, say things online that they wouldn't necessarily say face-to-face. -face. And so it gives people this kind of sense of security or freedom to, to be mean. Mm -hmm. um, so these are things that we, we talk about a lot, but the benefit is that you can connect and it can be positive. And I, I do wanna follow up and just say that having a community that's supportive can help you get through the pandemic. It can help you cope with your uh, in any kind of illness or any kind of distress is one of the critical things uh, that we promote uh, for students and for staff as well that are experiencing compassion fatigue for the increase of mental health work. And the compassion fatigue is related to being a mental health worker and experiencing the, the consequences of the pandemic and working with people that are going through the pandemic. And so you're not able to kind of separate like you might and under normal circumstances. So I think having a community where you feel safe, that you can share uh, what you're going through and, and learn that you're not alone is critical. We offer uh, free support groups for students for grief, for chronic illnesses, for the LGBTQ plus communities. And so when you're feeling like you're marginalized, there's some ways, whether you're a student or find, finding groups in the community, uh, and they can be in person or online, but they can be really valuable if you feel safe in them. Mm -hmm. I think it's important to note that a big university campus like this one is kind of a microcosm of the rest of the world where you can find different groups of people that gravitate toward one another. And if some of these groups are being discriminated against or are being called out in, by other hate groups, then I would, would assume that's, those are areas where you really need to go in and work with the kids. Absolutely. Sometimes we have um, mean people drive through the campus and sometimes students get together and kind of get into group think or, or 
political uh, polarization uh, promotes uh, mean speech and even people walking around with masks on can be attacked. It's just a wide range of things. And so certainly the Counseling Center is a safe place. We often put information on our website about how to cope um, as well as they can come in. But we also try to do a lot of training and, and provide information to uh, faculty, staff, and students. So if students come to them with these concerns that they're equipped uh, to provide support and to refer them to appropriate places. We have an office on campus for bi bias response network. So anything that feels uh, like harassment or uh, dismissal or threats, uh, they can be reported. And that, again, through the Dean of Students office. Um, so there are a lot of resources, but definitely um, there's a lot going on and we want to create safe spaces and uh, get that message out there that, uh, you know, we want not only IU, the campus, but the Bloomington community and ideally anywhere we go to feel welcoming. Okay. Lindsay, we have about one minute to go. Uh, one thing that Barbara mentioned earlier is depression and how it's debilitating effects. And I just wanted to, I guess, toss this out to you that depression is not a term that should be thrown around lightly you know like uh, oh they're just a little bit depressed as a you know you hear that from time to time but depression is something that should be taken seriously could you address that in the last 45 seconds we have yeah absolutely i'm glad you highlighted that so uh, depression absolutely is a, a serious condition that can um end in death um, suicide is um, one of the leading causes of death for um, our population and is um, in the top three for under the age of 40. So uh, it, depression can lead to serious consequences um, if gone untreated. And so it, it does, it is something that if feeling if there are symptoms of depression um, and you can look those up pretty easily. I think Barbara mentioned some, some resources and, and Bob, you did as well. Um, to get treatment um, right away. The treatment is effective um, and it is a treatable condition, but if, if you do have symptoms of depression, um, seeking a professional help is essential. Okay. To make sure All right, thank you. I'm gonna to have to cut you off there. We are out of time. Thank yeah. you to Lindsay Potts, Denise Hayes, and Barbara Thompson. I wanna thank our producers, Benta Boutier and Nathan Moore, engineer Mike Pashkash. I'm Bob Zaltzberg. Thanks for listening to Noon Edition. Production support for Noon Edition comes from Smithville. Fiber internet, streaming TV, home security, and automation in southern Indiana. More information at smithville.com. And from Integrity First Insurance, provider of Erie Insurance, for all your auto, home, life, and business insurance needs. More information at 812-269-8897 or integrityfirstinsuranceservices.com. And from Bloomington Health Foundation, partnering with local organizations and citizens to invest in programs that address our community's health needs. Bloomington Health Foundation, improving health and well-being takes a community. More at bloomhf.org. And from Estate and Downsizing Specialists, LLC, offering complete turnkey services for estate and downsizing clients. From initial consultation through home cleanout to final real estate and personal property sales. More at edsindiana.com.
Support comes from WFIU listeners like you and from University Information Technology Services, encouraging the 